You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today is the uh, holiday, Dr. Martin Luther King holiday. I want to start by thanking him for his service. It took me a while, too long to come around to appreciate, you know, how hard, you know, he banged for for, for us, uh, Black America. It took me a, a long time to appreciate his later views on the race problem in America between black and white. Uh, but uh, we have a special episode today, and the episode, the title is... Was Barack Obama the first political antichrist to rise in black America? And what's next? You know, I'm going to start off by talking about an episode that I decided not to release to you. I know a lot of folks have been waiting uh, for another episode. I had an episode ready for Christmas over the Christmas break. An entrepreneur came on uh, my show. A tech entrepreneur came on my show. Uh, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, tech founders, startup founders come on the show. And the format is we'll talk about your story. You know, we want to get that story out there. We want to inspire other people out there to do for self, to build businesses. Uh, but we also want to talk about current events. Okay. We want to pull the politics or the, the views out of the the entrepreneur or the the business leader or the tech leader. We want to get the politics out of the brothers and sisters who are working in, in terms of building businesses. We want to get them on the record to talk about current events. That's the format of the show. It's called Go Hard or Go Home. Long story short, I taped this episode and this white woman reaches out from New York and she says, I have some concerns uh, about the episode. And I say, what are the concerns? And she doesn't respond to any specifics, but I remind her that the show is called Go Hard or Go Home. You know, we have almost 70 episodes. You can go to the website and look at what we offer. Okay, this big PR firm is reaching out. And it sounds like they want to be in the editing room. They want to quarterback the show. They want to dictate what we distribute. They want to come in the editing room. It felt like this. And one other thing I'd like to say, any artist out there want to be an artist and want to stay a star and don't want to, don't want to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, I mean, if you remember, uh, Suge saying, you know, that Diddy wanted, or Puffy at that time, wanted to be all up in the videos, all in the shows. But this white woman, this PR woman, she wanted to get in the editing room of my show. Okay? And so... I reached out to the brother and told him, hey, you know, I listened to it. Uh, you know, uh, we played it pretty safe. You know, I'm sensitive to some of your headline risk out there. Uh, but we did talk about a couple of things uh, out there. But, you know, I'm not asking the brother to be a little Malcolm X on my show. I'm not asking him to be a little Farrakhan. 
I'm not even asking him to be a little Jesse Jackson or Barack Obama. We'll just talk about a couple current events on the Go Hard or Go Home show. That's what we do. So long story short, the PR woman, white woman, the way she's framing things in our communications is like she owns the fucking show. This is my show. You're not coming on the Go Hard or Go Home and getting in the editing room, white woman. I told her that that would, if, if you guys want edits, okay, that would degrade the integrity of the Go Hard or Go Home show. Meaning that you're not going to ABC or Fox and you get interviewed and then you come back and say, I want to edit the five minute mark. I want to edit the 20 minute mark. I want to edit the 30 minute mark. I want this taken out. I want this in. Okay, that's how it works in the mainstream. The other black publications or maybe other podcasts, some of them, if they get a big guess, they're willing to do all that stuff. That's not what we're doing here. Okay, so I respectfully said that although, you know, we, we flew out and we, we uh, recorded the interview, I wouldn't release it. Okay, out of respect for the brother and what he has going on. Major, major things out there. Uh, but out of respect for him, uh, I wouldn't release the episode. But the big takeaway for me is I have to be more careful on these more Hollywood conflicted folks. Whether it's tech or entertainment coming on the show. Because you got to know what this show stands for. You're not coming in the editing room to make the show go soft, to sanitize the show, to put a lot of soy milk in the show, to conventionalize the show. You're not gonna make this like how things work in Hollywood. Okay, if you wanna come to the show and over 2.5 million users have listened to the show in a year and a half, you got to play by my rules. Okay. So how this white woman was coming was very disrespectful. And I had to put her in her place. She's framing things all wrong. You don't own my motherfucking show. Okay. This is something that's different over here. And if you haven't done your research, you better go do your research. You're not going to be all up in my show influencing my edits. And this relates to the subject today. So here's some context between Barack Obama, his rise, and, and myself. Let's rewind to 2006, 2007. Uh, so in 2006, you may be familiar with Bossip. So Bossip became the number one blog uh, in black America. And what was unique about Bossip was, you know, we had a healthy amount of what we call politics. Essentially, we would talk about politics, uh, which was my first love, uh, essentially. And, you know, when I was 17, I fell in love with politics. You saw that with Bossip. So 
Bossip, which my company started, was one of the first websites we rolled out. We rolled out a portfolio over time of digital brands. But Bossip was covering Barack Obama before everybody else. Okay. We were the only reason that Bossip blew up is because we were plugged in. Plugged, plugged, plugged in. Okay. And so Bossip was covering Barack Obama in 2006. Okay. So you go over 2006, 2007. Bossip is a cultural and political tastemaker in terms of how it's covering things. So, you know, I was on a panel at Columbia University. Uh, one of the uh, sisters in the audience, she said, you know, I always remember I was uh, introduced to Barack Obama uh, from Bossip, and I really appreciate that. But it wasn't just her. Bossip introduced Barack Obama to millions of folks around the world in the United States uh, specifically, but around the world. Uh, and so at the time, very early when Bossop started covering him, let's go back, a lot of folks thought, hey, this guy's too elitist, he's too white, he doesn't have a chance, America's too racist. There was a lot of pessimism out there. Bossop was super optimistic. It didn't matter if Barack Obama lost, this is the right position. Okay, somebody who can come to the table, uh, who, uh, you know, went to Reverend Rice Church for 20 years, who married a chocolate black wife, uh, who was familiar uh, with the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X, who said in his own book, he said he used to read the final call. And so when I heard Brock, I knew he had that Malcolm X in him. He tapped into it at some point. And so um, although Malcolm went from little to X, Barack Obama went from Barry to Barack in terms of his transformation. Uh, so I'm very familiar with this subject. So when people talk about Barack Obama and you're criticizing Barack Obama, don't be criticizing Barack Obama. Well... We got to go back to my personal relationship with Barack Obama in terms of pushing, helping, being instrumental in pushing him out there in terms of what he was selling at the time. It looked really good. I saw kind of some ingredients where, hey, this maybe, you know, this could be really, really helpful. Uh, not just for black America, but also for America. And of course, uh, Farrakhan, uh, who had met Barack Obama, was familiar with Barack Obama. He himself said that he could be a political messiah to bring both black and white together. So there were other people believing, but there's somebody else who believed in Barack Obama. That was his pastor for 20 years, okay, Barack Obama's pastor, Barack Obama's pastor, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, he spoke of Obama as a son, a spiritual son. Uh, Barack Obama didn't grow up with the father. And Obama, if you believe him, he looked at 
Reverend Wright as a father. Okay, and Reverend Wright looked at Barack Obama as a father. I'm sorry, he looked at Barack Obama as a son. Uh, and so that relationship uh, was real. Michelle Obama went to Reverend Wright's church. Uh, she saw her daughters get baptized in the, uh, in the church in Chicago. Oprah Winfrey went to the Reverend Wright's church. A lot of you people don't know that. But yes, Oprah loved her. Some, some Reverend Wright in Chicago. But according to uh, Timer Newsweek, one of the reasons Oprah left the Reverend Jeremiah Wright's church was she was worried about white folks and what they would think. So, you know, with Oprah pulling out of Reverend Wright's church, and with Obama pulling out of Reverend Wright's church, you see that our leaders, so-called leaders, our leaders are restricted. You know, they may have money or they, they may have uh, politics, but it's important to assess where does this money come from? Who's around these people? Okay, so they're going to have conflicts, conflicts with you. So if you give the black political leader all the equity, you invest in the black political leaders, you want them to be successful, and emotionally and politically, you, you give them equity, meaning that for them to become big, they need the support from Black America Corps. Okay, they're not blowing up. They may reach the mainstream, but they're not doing that without your support okay that's like the foundation okay uh black america core i'm not i'm talking about the majority not the folks on cnn msnbc the elites who the system uh selects to represent or endorses to or gives money to to represent black america core i'm talking about the real black america core uh, in Harlem, in Baltimore, in, in Watts, uh, in South Central, uh, in ATL. I'm talking about the folks on the street who go to Reverend, who go to churches like Reverend Wright's church, or they go to the mosque, or they don't, the MSNBC or CNN Negro Bakari Sellers type of folks, that doesn't represent Black America Corps. That represents a particular mind and personality that the that the establishment is comfortable with okay so when you hear black america core i want you to know what i'm talking about oprah and obama pull out of reverend wright's church okay they're concerned uh for you know at, at different stages they're concerned that reverend wright has too much headline risk and may scare away white folks in oprah's case consumers in Barack Obama's case, voters and donors, right? I got to go to the white folks, get the money. I got to get support from the white voter. If they hear what I've been hearing for the last 20 years and what I believe in, I don't think you're going to be going to Reverend Rice Church for 20 years and you don't believe into that Dr. King type of teaching, the black liberation theology teaching the teaching that's banging against America. You love Reverend Wright. 
You love banging against America. You love to hear it. And But you reach a stage where you're so conflicted with advisors and money and you're paralyzed. You can't, you can no longer speak as a, as a representative of your own self. You can't speak to your core or your, your beliefs or what you've been hearing the last 20 years, 20 years. You have to become someone else. Okay. And that someone else is conflicted, meaning that black people are in desperate need of leadership uh, in 2020. We are in desperate need of leadership. And so we are looking to people like Barack Obama and, and Oprah and some of these celebrities, but there's too many conflicts. They have different agendas, money, politics, power. And so their conflicts presents a problem. The definition, the loose definition of Antichrist in Christian theology and this is not a religious perspective, this is a political perspective, but the, the loose definition is, is that someone would appear very late in history, in modern history, very late stage in modern history. Uh, they would appear as like a savior, as a prophet. They would appear to be bringing everyone together. They would appear that they were on the side of righteousness. They were on the side of truth. They weren't on the side of corruption. They were on the side of uh, banging against the corruption. They were, uh, you know, they're going to be talking about the corruption of the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton and the whole political establishment. Barack Obama wasn't just talking about Republicans are corrupt or Demo Democrats corrupt. He was saying that the entire system uh, was taken over by money and lobbyists, okay? Uh, and that these conflicts uh, within American politics uh, produced an amount of corruption uh, where, you know, the there was no freedom, justice, and equality, okay? So, so Antichrist, uh, in a broad sense, you could think of someone who's going to come and they appear like a savior, like the, the temperature in black America uh, was comparable to like the Million Man March. Uh, I caught the bus to the Million Man March and it felt like heaven in terms of people of different religious backgrounds, uh, political affiliations. Uh, different brothers uh, uh, from across America came together for a righteous purpose. The election of Barack Obama at that time, it was like, man, the temperature is very, very heavy in a positive way, like, hey, you know, we are in desperate need of some structural changes, okay, uh, and so Barack Obama may be that guy, so at the time, there was a lot of skepticism uh, before uh, Barack Obama really took off, and people started realizing that this guy could really win, but we got to understand, when people said that America was too racist for Barack Obama to get elected, you have to understand that America was on fire, okay? You're talking about Lehman Brothers going down, big investment banks going down, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers. You're talking about the biggest financial crisis since the Great Depression. And so when people were saying that 
America was too racist to elect someone like Barack Obama with that name. It's important to understand that America was on fire at that time. Okay, fire, fire, meaning that some people were talking about this could be lights out for America in terms of an economic collapse. They didn't know where it was going at the time. Uh, in, in my view, the rational American voter, white voter, the rational voter said, the rational racist white voter even, or the MAGA light voter said, look, I may not embrace a black president. I may not want a black president. I don't want a black rapper uh, on the outside representing my country. I don't want a chocolate family living in the White House. However, I can't vote for the same party that has the house on fire. Okay? So, I mean, if it could be lights out and, and the, the economy is collapsing, then and only then will I be flexible enough to consider a Barack Obama as president. And he, look, you know, he's, he's saying all these nice things. Hope change you know he's saying all these things where he's gonna fix the corruption he's gonna fix the swamp he's gonna bring all the people together uh we're gonna have freedom and justice and equality so he's saying all these things and people i don't know about you but at the time barack obama like he was like some type of savior figure meaning that even a couple years into uh, his presidency, if you criticize Barack Obama, some people would probably fight over that. People thought that he was untouchable in terms of some folks were out there defending Barack Obama before they may defend religious prophets, okay? Barack Obama, you talk about Barack Obama, it's like talking somebody in your family, somebody on the home team, right? Some, you're, you're, you're messing with our savior, the person who's going to come and fix a lot of the corruption and the racism and get black America into a better place. That was the message at the time. And so the title of this episode was Barack Obama, the first political antichrist to appear in black America. And in terms of a mainstream level, I believe that he was the first political antichrist to appear among us in terms of black America. He's the first political antichrist. And this person is coming in as a savior, as someone who's, who's hopeful and saying all the right things and have the people into a cult mindset where you can't criticize him. He's above criticism. He's a political prophet. He's going to fix all this stuff. And this is not about being unrealistic. My point of view is not expecting Barack Obama to change the system overnight. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is appearing that you're on one side and getting the people politically drunk where we freeze to think critically. We are paralyzed to hold the leader accountable. We're so loyal 
to this seemingly political profit where we don't even want to ask for anything. We don't even, we make all the excuses for him when he won't bang for the people, meaning that people are suffering, people are getting shot. The structure in America, the structure, not what it looks like on the inside. I'm talking about the structure, the policies that you have to face every single day. That's not going in the right direction. The Antichrist, if there's such thing as a political Antichrist figure, this would be somebody who's appearing to be one thing. And, you know, we could we could debate in terms of how the person got there, meaning that this person could have always been that way. Or this person could have been a certain way and they switched up. Okay, but the main theme that we're talking about here or the main framing is that a political antichrist that would appear in black America as it relates to us is that they would appear to be about that life. They would hook us like a salesperson, a car dealership, uh, someone selling us a subprime mortgage, a dirty subprime mortgage, someone selling us a dirty credit card deal that was really enticing to get in political antichrist who would appear would be someone representing something but either through a switch up or they already had this in them they're banging on another side their allegiance is to another side and so when barack obama we put him on a political profit status where don't criticize we just have to wait he can't do anything you know, it takes time. You know, you can't expect him to be the president of black America. Uh, you know, he's in a delicate spot with uh, white folks and Republicans and Nancy Pelosi and everybody that just shut up. Just be happy that you see a black family in the White House. And so that was enough, meaning that the people are so desperate. The people are so exploited. The people are so structurally abused that you present something like Barack Obama to them and they'll take it you know don't ask no questions just give the money we gave all the money all the political equity but we paralyze critical thought and that's why I put this in an antichrist uh, context because Barack Obama was our political prophet but he's not what he represented now he's not who we thought he was he's not willing whether then and now he's not willing to take any risk on behalf of black america Corps. he's not willing to risk a motherfucking thing on our behalf black america Corps. that is barack obama and who he's connected with, who's around him, he's not going to do anything controversial, anything disruptive to this order. If Dr. King is banging against the order, banging against the system, banging against the structure, he's out there risking his life for you. He's about that life. You can't elevate somebody to a Dr. King status, to a political prophet status, who won't take any risk for you. 
He's too conflicted, and I can't just see him. It's now he he has a a media empire uh, with his wife. He has business deals. He has elites that he's connected with where he can't do anything to mess up the order. And I'll go as far as to say that he's not willing, most likely, to go over to a more equitable Bernie Sanders uh, regime, assuming that, you know, one day Bernie Sanders uh, and his philosophy could get through the American system. But you, you have to consider that if Barack Obama is going to be worth $300 and $400 million, meaning that the family's media empire is going to be worth $300, $400 million. Based on the patterns and who's around him and how he's moving, you have to consider that he may not want any piece of his wealth confiscated by Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Okay? That he may have interests based on who he's rolling with, who he owes. He may have interests that conflicts with our rise. We don't have the conflicts. A lot of us don't have the conflicts. We don't have white folks to protect. You should not allow Barack Obama to transfer his conflicts with white folks and making money and all these swamp figures that he's connected to. He's connected, his empire is held up by elites. He gangbangs and is an enforcer now of the system. And we're going to get into that uh, in terms of the facts to support what I'm saying. Barack Obama is a system enforcer. He can't, he can't mess with his empire. He can't mess with his elites and his friends and what's holding his, his machine up. If he was to disrupt that, okay, which was which which you need, you need the system to restructure. You need a radical reset. You need to speak truth to power to to white folks and to America. You need that stuff out there. But Barack Obama, he's on your opposing side. If he's protecting the system and protecting elites, he's not gonna have politics that's optimized for you. He won't even speak specifically for black America or bang for black America or defend black America. If he opposes reparations for the descendants of slavery, okay, if he opposes reparations, if he's saying that, hey, it's not time for hope and change anymore. We need to be practical. Just get behind the Democratic Party establishment. We just need to be practical. Okay, forget about all that stuff I was saying before. Uh, I've switched up. Things are different now. Things are really good. And we can't be being optimistic about hope and change and all that other stuff. We just need to start to be realistic. And so this is a different Barack Obama than the one that Black America Corps invested in. Over time, he has morphed into someone else. So he gets the more he gets away from the Reverend Wright teaching Black America Corps you're seeing a different person. And this is why I say that we should be teaching. If you want to teach your kids about Barack Obama, you're not going to teach them about the swamp Barack Obama, the corrupted Barack Obama, the processed Barack Obama. You want to teach that child about the 
Barack Obama who changed from Barry to Barack. How did he get to that point? And that's the Reverend Wright Obama. This other Obama, this person is someone else. This person is so conflicted, you don't know what you're getting. He's optimizing for his machine, for the system, to protect the system. How did we arrive to Barack Obama being framed as a political antichrist? And let's look at the people around him. And this is not about America. This is about Black America core. Barack Obama was the first political antichrist for Black America core on a mainstream level. We know that Dr. King was the real deal. Okay, we can read William Sullivan, who was Jagger Hoover's right hand man. Okay, the FBI official tells you in his book, William Sullivan, he said that they tried to flip Dr. King in the dark room. Jagger Hoover was really mad that Dr. King would not flip. Okay, they offered him stuff. Please be on our side. Dr. King told them no. William Sullivan, top official in the FBI, right-hand man of J. Edgar Hoover, he said that the FBI tried to flip Dr. King over and over, and he would not do it. He risked his life. That's, in my view, if you're going to talk about a political prophet, this is person with skin in the game. He goes in those corrupt, dark rooms, and he says no. I can't betray my people. Now, this stuff over here is something else. So let's talk about it. The axes, you know, Bush had the axes of evil. There is a axes of all lives matter that's around Barack Obama. And let's talk about that. To understand Barack Obama, you need to understand who's around them. Okay, are they a net positive for black America? Are they a net negative? When you run the PL or the profit and loss statement, you know there's positives and negatives. Let's see how things net out. David Fluff, he's a lobbyist. He's on the board of the Obama Foundation. He also works for Mark Zuckerberg. Right now, David Fluff, look him up. He advised Barack Obama to throw away Reverend Wright. He advised Barack Obama to in terms of how to deal with Reverend Wright. Some people will say, hey, you know, he gave Barack Obama good advice because, you know, he was elected president. He's a genius. But you need to know who this person is. David Fluff works for Barack Obama. You can go to the Obama Foundation team or the board of directors. This lobbyist, David Fluff, is on the board. Also, David Fluff works for Mark Zuckerberg. Also, David Fluff has been fined for illegal lobbying for Uber. He's a fine lobbyist. What is a see? A Barack Obama said that he's against lobbying. He said we have to change this system of revolving doors that it hurts democracy. But all the Obama disciples cashed in. So Barack Obama, when he's running, he said one thing: we need to change the revolving door. What is the revolving door? Is essentially, I'm going to go work in government, and then I'm going to go work for one of these company, companies who's trying to influence the government, trying to overpower the voters and the regulations 
uh, with money, I'm going to use that government access and I'm going to go pimp it out for a company. The bomb officials went to Facebook, Google, Amazon. They're going where the money is. Okay, they're going, a lot of them are going to big tech. So they go work for Obama and then they go make the money with big tech or in other places. The government's for sale. And Barack Obama was elected banging against that system. When you look at the disciples, go ahead and look it up. You may start asking questions. How did Google, Apple, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, how did they get so big after the financial crisis? Meaning that if the wealth and the power was going to go from Wall Street, which Obama banged against, if the power and money is going to shift to the West or to big tech or to Silicon Valley, wouldn't you have a similar result, meaning that something goes wrong? And some people will say, hey, with Wall Street, you had the financial crisis in terms of greed, in terms of lobbying and regulations and the swamp. That turned into a financial crisis in terms of the ingredients and how you got there. Some people over here will say, look, Donald Trump's digital manager or campaign manager, he said that Facebook, how Facebook gave him all these information and advice, he said the way they used Facebook was instrumental in how they were able to, to beat Hillary Clinton. And so in my view, you know, you did have a small amount of votes, relatively speaking, between uh, the two on electoral college basis in terms of the, the spread uh, between Trump and Hillary Clinton. That if the Donald Trump campaign manager is right and Facebook was so instrumental in terms of uh, pushing the election over to uh, Trump, if you believe the person who was working Donald Trump's Facebook, that Facebook was instrumental and tipped them over the top, okay? And so if you believe that, you could say, hey, Barack Obama was impotent and Eric Holder and the whole Obama administration. They didn't regulate Google. They didn't regulate Facebook. They didn't regulate Amazon. The Obama administration said, do whatever the fuck you want to do. You want this? You want to become big? You want to acquire all these different companies? Go ahead. Now, you'll say, hey, Barack Obama, he wanted to juice the economy. If you go before the financial crisis... The investment banks, the banks, they wanted to juice the economy and their profits. Silicon Valley and big tech is no different. You're talking about a similar greedy mind. How you got the financial crisis with Wall Street, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, how you get to that point is similar to where you are now. So if there's not going to be any regulations because of the wallets that's funding Barack Obama, that's connected to Barack Obama, if David Fluff is connected to Mark Zuckerberg and connected to the billionaires in Silicon Valley, connected to the executives at Google and Amazon, and they're, they're getting into bed with the big tech swamp who wants to overpower the government, who wants to control the government, who wants to influence the government, Okay, they don't care about how it impacts you or the average American citizen. They're not worried about that. 
What they're focused on is how can we make the most money and increase our share price? How do we increase our profits? So Obama, the record shows, he sided with these corporate rulers. And he, I don't think uh, he considered what could be the consequences if you let your boy David Fluff and Mark Zuckerberg and all these uh, people in Silicon Valley, if you let them run wild, don't you want to think about the rise of inequality? Don't you want to think about, hey, you know, this could further pervert the economy in terms of how these type of people run their affairs? Obama is thinking about, I'm rolling with big tech. I'm rolling with Silicon Valley. I'm ro rolling with the corporate rulers. I'm not shaking anything up. I'm not even going to regulate them. And then, bam, MAGA hits them. And some people will say Facebook was a big piece of that, according to the Trump campaign. The officials at Facebook, they were embedded in the Trump campaign, and they used Facebook in a very sophisticated way. Of course, after the election, people are thinking differently now. Now that the Democrats got popped, you didn't want to regulate Facebook, and now you got popped, and MAGA's in power. That's what your ass gets. You guys campaign, I'm talking to the Democrats, you guys campaigns that you're for the little guy, you're for the poor, you're for black people, you're for the people of color, you're for the minorities, blah, blah, blah. The Democrats, the rulers are for the wallet. They are for enforcing a system in which they benefit. I'm talking about the big Democrat Party donors and the politicians that if you really look into this stuff, you see that. There's so much more concern about protecting the Zuckerberg and the Amazon and the Google that they shirk their duty in terms of protecting you, uh, in terms of what are they supposed to deliver for you, specifically Black America Corps. If Barack Obama can protect Mark Zuckerberg and Google and Amazon, he, if he can protect all the corporate rulers, What's wrong with protecting black America? What's wrong with defending black America? You're defending them? So let's get back to David Fluff. So David Fluff has been fined for illegal lobbying. He works for Zuckerberg and Obama at the same time. And I think the plan was, if Hillary Clinton wins, I'm going to hand this thing off to Hillary Clinton. And we're going to have all big tech and all of our, our allies and elites in Silicon Valley. They're all going to have access through us in the Clinton administration right? No brainer. Dang. Mo money, mo money, mo money. The rulers out of Silicon Valley, if Barack Obama was able to transfer power to Hillary Clinton, David Fluff and the cabal of lobbyists in the Obama administration and the officials, they're going to be making a lot of money because they have access and access is sold to the highest bidder. And a lot of these Obama officials are lobbyists now. David Fluff, that's one of Obama's top advisors. He's on the Obama Foundation board and he's a lobbyist. He works for Zuckerberg. He's involved with a lot of the rulers in Silicon Valley, of course, who don't hire you. The record shows that these Silicon Valley people who Obama and David Fluff and his whole set get their money from, the record shows they won't even hire you. They won't even invest. Less than 1% of the investments from venture capitalists in Silicon Valley goes to black. 
But this is where Obama, David Fluff, and the their whole elite circle, this is where they get their money from. Do you think that they're talking to them about black folks and jobs and investments? Do you think uh, Cory Booker, who's also swamped up uh, with Zuckerberg and Silicon Valley, do you think Cory Booker was pressing those people on investing black, hiring black? Do you think that your politicians who you put all this faith in, do you think they're they're holding these people accountable? No, they're not. David Fluff, Joe Biden, and you're so familiar with Joe Biden, I'm not going to go in too much detail. But the Obama's disciples, David Fluff, Joe Biden, okay, Obama said Joe Biden gets, he needs to get credit for crime going down uh, with the Clinton-Biden crime bill that helped get us to the point of mass incarceration. That's very personal to a lot of us. Obama gives credit to Joe Biden, but Joe Biden, he was using the political climate. He's using this mass incarceration bill for political points. Like Clinton used sister soldier or used crime or used welfare to get the MAGA-like voter to... To, to, to get the votes, meaning that these people will craft policies or support politics where they got to hook the white voter, but it's at your expense. And you're so drunk on the Democratic Party, and in some cases, you're so cheap in terms of what you're willing to accept, they will make trades against you, meaning that I get political points, and if I hurt some people over here, tough luck. I'm not even thinking about the possibility of hurting uh, much more people than than we thought. Uh, And so Biden, Simone Sanders, who's a spokeswoman for the Biden campaign, she says, hey, a lot of black people wanted the Clinton-Biden crime bill, the mass incarceration bill. Uh, What she didn't say, she said this uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but what she didn't say is that the co-founder of the Congressional Black Caucus banged against the Clinton-Biden crime bill. Activists, researchers, scholars, they were telling the Clinton administration, don't do this. Change it. This could hurt a lot of people. They were saying that in real time. However, the political uh, establishment at the time uh, Clinton needed his Clinton and Biden. They needed their political points. They you you get cur- political currency if you appear tough on crime, as we saw with Kamala Harris in California. You're tough on crime. Yes, you're gonna get a lot of political currency out of that. Okay, or at least you used to be able to. Uh, you would appear tough on crime, but at the expense of Black America Core. Uh, they get political points. Our uncles and brothers and nephews and fathers, we get pain and suffering. Similar to the subprime or financial crisis, are with the Obama administration not regulating their partners, Google and Facebook, who's funding them a lot of money and support, that these people who are making trades at the top, they're not thinking about the consequences on the bottom. It's not about a, oh, uh, just a simple mistake. No. When you're at that level of Joe Biden, David Fluff, Barack Obama, if you're at that level at the top, when you 
move. You have to think about, if you're sincere, you have to think about how your policies and movements could impact the folks on the bottom who don't have a voice, who don't have a wallet, who don't have connections at the top. If you're not thinking about those people, you're not on our team, period. You plan for another team. If you're willing to make these trades at the very top, the presidency, the Senate, the Congress, the advisor to the president, if you're making these economic and political trades that benefit you and your cliques at our expense, we got to separate from you. We got to look beyond who's black. Barack Obama may be black or half black, but we're living in a day and time where things are more complex. The way the system is using diversity, POC, representation, all these corporate words, the way they're using it is I can get more bad stuff in if I use a black person or a woman or a black woman, meaning that the system has nefarious goals where they can look at the, the racial debt that's out there in terms of, hey, you know, we haven't acted uh, right towards this people. So the debt accumulates. The debt is, is behind the scenes where people are more frustrated. People are more angry. We haven't dealt correctly with these people. So there's debt building up behind the scenes on race and gender. We've been oppressing women. We've been discriminating against women. We've been raping women. So if the system is, has built up this debt on race and gender, what a person like Mark Zuckerberg, David Fluff, are the corporate rulers at Silicon Valley, they're going to think about how do we use this diversity stuff and representation stuff to get bad stuff through? How do we get the lobbying? How do we get the regulations to, to work in our favor? And you know what? The people are looking for black. We'll give them black. But we're going to package it with a lot of bad stuff. And so if you're working on the side of our enemies, the enemies of freedom, justice, and equality, the playbook has been, not just now, but it has been for a while, is that we can use a black person in some cases or some situations to get stuff through that we ordinarily wouldn't get through with a white person. So these people are playing at a very high level. They're playing chess, and you're out here thinking, black, Cory Booker, black, Kamala Harris, black. Barack Obama black, but you got to look underneath the hood. There's something very, very white that they could be representing in terms from a structural standpoint. We're not concerned. At least I'm not. Okay. And a lot of black America core, we're waking up in terms of this person may be black. Kamala or Cory Booker may be black, but their policies and their vision doesn't match up to what we're looking for. So the disciples, we have David Fluff, Jim Crow, Joe Biden, uh, who voted for the Iraq war, championed the Iraq war, was a chief enforcer and designer of the Clinton-Biden crime bill. And so you should not be out here debating black folks who 
think about the rise of black people in, in politics in terms of, hey, the Democratic Party's good, the Republican Party's bad. If we agree that the system is the problem and corruption cuts across party lines, okay, there's corruption on both sides. There's there's the swamp artist David Fluff over here working for Zuckerberg and Obama and has been fined for illegal lobbying with Uber already. There's swamp on both sides. Hunter Biden pimping out his father's access and getting $50,000 a month uh, as part of some type of swamp deal. Not thinking about Biden, he said that he didn't think he did anything wrong. Although his son, Hunter Biden, who was getting the $50,000 swamp bags a month, he said he would do it differently. So obviously he did something wrong. We should not be thinking about our rise in opposition in terms of Democratic Party good, Republican bad. The corruption is on both sides. We have to address our issues in a critical way where we hold leadership accountable, particularly when you're voting at 90% for the Democratic Party. You have to value your vote, value our community, value our people enough to hold these people accountable because they've been playing tricks on us. And that's why I, I don't really focus on MAGA. I already know what's over there. That's already priced in. Now, at some point, the Democratic Party is going to have Congress, Senate, and the presidency again. At some point. It may take a while. But at some point, if they do have the Congress, Senate, and the presidency, what are they going to do? What's, their, what's your relationship with them when they do that? The disciples, we have David Fluff, Joe Biden, around Obama. Okay, and the reason, as many of you know, the reason Obama picked Joe Biden is because He's such a good politician, uh, and he had wisdom to know that America was so racist is a beautiful way to, to manipulate America into voting for the Reverend Wright Obama, the man who changed his name from Barry to Barack, is I can run the whitest, most racist most conservative Democrat, I'll bring them over on my side. And so this will look more appealing to, to a lot of the white voters who want to see white. So they're going to feel more comfortable if I bring over this conservative, white, Jim Crow, a Clinton crime bill, tough on crime. If they see this type of white man on my side, they'll open up and they, they won't think too much about why I changed my name from Barry to Barack, or uh, why I attended Reverend Wright's church for 20 years. Uh, they, won't, they will hold less suspicion of me if I bring one of them, who's almost a Republican, if I bring him over, I can hook America. And that's what he did. He hooked America with Joe Biden. Uh, and from a political perspective, it was a smart move politically in terms of American swamp politics and how they play with race. It was smart. However, it's not the the smart thing to do is not the right thing to do. Uh in terms of morally, uh it wasn't the moral thing to do. 
Okay, but it was a smart political play. So you have lobbyist David Fluff around Obama, advising Obama. Okay, you have Joe Biden, the third person, Eric Holder. Okay, who's Eric Holder? Eric Holder was the attorney general for Barack Obama. Barack Obama looked at Eric Holder and said, oh, this is going to be perfect. You know, this is a very articulate brother, you know, uh, light skin, really sharp, uh, knows how to play the elite game. I'm going to bring him on as the chief law officer of the United States, Eric Holder. And so let's back up. What was Eric Holder doing before he became the chief law enforcement officer of the United States? I know he's black. I know you guys out here, you want to crip walk because you see black. Black, 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 black. Eric Holder's black. Look at that. We're going somewhere. Eric Holder was an attorney for the Sackler family. That's S-A-C-K-L-E-R. Okay. Some of you will know that this family... The Sackler family, their company, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, who has filed for bankruptcy, that they're a big producer of opioids. This company is an opioid dealer, a drug dealer, killing people, getting people addicted, and manipulating the regulations with their money. Okay, you get back to the, to the swamp. This company has a lot of money. They pay Eric Holder. They contract with Eric Holder. West Virginia, the state of West Virginia, they see what we're about to do. They see what we're doing. They're trying to stop us. Let's go get Eric Holder. Eric Holder comes. He comes over and says, yes. Okay, let's try to minimize uh, the settlement and let's try to keep it quiet and we won't admit any guilt. Eric Holder is gangbanging at a corporate level for the drug dealer, Purdue Pharmaceuticals. Okay, the Sackler family. Okay, this is the type of person, okay, after the financial crisis, this is the type of person Obama hires as the chief law enforcement officer. Obama is smart. He knows the financial crisis just happened. He knows laws could have been broken. He knows that the swamp has perverted the regulatory system reducing the regulations on the banks, allowing them to go crazy and to go wild. Obama knows all this in real time. He's not stupid. He looks at Eric Holder's resume, banging for companies like Purdue Pharmaceuticals, representing the evil side, the drug dealing side. Obama said, Eric Holder, look at this guy. Light skin, speaks well. People are going to say he's black. Black people are going to like that. The swamp is going to like it because they know that when they see Eric Holder, they know that I got their back. Obama's, your political prophet, selects Eric Holder as his political disciple, as the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. And this guy doesn't have a problem with banging for Purdue Pharmaceuticals. You think he cares who dies? You think he's thinking about some of these ethical and moral questions when he's thinking about, do I take these millions from Purdue Pharmaceuticals or do I look out for that kid and that teenager who may get hooked on this stuff? The hundreds of thousands of Americans who could be hooked, 
black people who could be hooked on some of this stuff? You think he's thinking about that? Should I take this check from this drug dealer? Or should I think about if I represent them and help them get away with this stuff, I could be structurally hurting a lot of people, kids, teenagers, mothers, fathers, brothers. You think a guy like Eric Holder is thinking about that? No. Barack Obama hired him as his disciple. So if, if you put Eric Holder into the chief law enforcement position as attorney general of the United States after the financial crisis, that type of person is not going to prosecute anybody. He didn't prosecute one person from a company that was involved or a bank or an actor in the mortgage industry. He didn't prosecute anybody. Not one person. But this lines up to who he was banging for before he was hired. That's why he was hired. The fix was in. So Eric Holder gets into his seat. He's not prosecuting anybody. If you look under the hood in Obama's disciples, Eric Holder, Joe Biden, lobbyist Fluff, who's been fined for illegal, illegal lobbying, advised Barack Obama to uh, leave Reverend Wright. Just throw him away. Uh, David Fluff, working for Mark Zuckerberg, working for Obama at the same time. He's a lobbyist. Okay, these are the disciples. When you look at these people, you see if you pair that swamp activity up and who are Obama's people, and, 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 and his disciples. And what do they do? You know, when they're faced with big questions, you know, what type of decisions do they make? Uh, who are they connected to? Who are they working for? You see that the Obama machine is not on black America's side. It's on the side of corruption. It's on the side of systemic white supremacy. And if Barack Obama was not on the side of systemic white supremacy, then he would need to come out and say that he's not on the side because in his Reverend Wright speech, he told a lie that many of us did not catch or we looked the other way because we wanted to see a black president so bad. Barack Obama said in his Reverend Wright speech that racism was not endemic to America. And he framed racism of Reverend Wright as perceived racism, like, like Jeremiah Wright was saying things, like he's crazy. But you say perceived racism, like, like what Jeremiah Wright is not, he wasn't kicking the truth. Like Jeremiah Wright wasn't representing the voices that don't have the Zuckerberg wallet, that don't have the big tech in Silicon Valley wallet. You are acting like Reverend Wright wasn't kicking that knowledge like it's supposed to be kicked. And that's why you were in there for 20 years. Barack Obama told a lie in that speech, the Reverend Wright speech, the famous Reverend Wright speech. He said that Reverend Wright was acting like racism was endemic to America. Oh, hell yes, racism is endemic to America. It's baked into the system deep. And we know that. So if you go out there and tell America a lie and that racism is not endemic, you guys are good. And this person is bad. And this person is making up stuff on white folks. And he's making all this racism stuff up. If your political prophet 
sits up there in a major speech before the world and says that racism is not endemic to America, you have to think about the consequences of a lie. Like you were a kid and your parents teach you, you, you may lie to about your grades or you may lie about this and that, but there's going to be consequences. So when Obama told that lie, that set up, there's other factors, but that set up to put not just black America core, but to put America, some well-meaning white and brown people put you to sleep in terms of you see a chocolate family in the White House and you think it's game over. You start crip walking and celebrating and yeah, we got this, we got this, we got the control, we, we, we running things now. Yeah, our president, yeah, Barack, blah, blah, blah. But your mind is going backwards in terms of the level of systemic white supremacy in the society. When Obama is saying these things and you're seeing Obama and we are optimistic people, we want to believe, we want to hope, he puts the mind, the black American mind, he pushes it back. There's less fight in the people. The people are pacified. The people are post-racial. We're beyond racism. So the people go to sleep over time. And Barack Obama is out here saying that racism is not endemic to America. So you can't work on the deep trauma, systemic trauma between white and black. You can't work on that stuff if you act like it's not there, if you ignore it. And so we have to think about the consequences of the Obama lie. That is a lie. I know some of you are that sick. You're so involved in your Obama worship and you still believe he's your prophet that even if he lies you will defend him I can prove that he lied and you will still defend him and that's why I say in terms of what's next uh, for Black America Corps politically is that when you see these elites Jay-Z who the NFL paid to kind of cut off Kaepernick and Black America Corps, you know, hey, we have sour relations with Black America Corps over this Kaepernick issue and how we handle it. Let's pay Jay-Z some money. And we don't have to deal with Black America Corps directly. We could just pay one of their celebrities. You know, this game has been used over and over. Let's go to this playbook. Oprah, Barack Obama, you can be fans of their political acumen, of their business acumen. You could say, hey, these people are great business people. They're great in terms of the corrupt system and how things work and the elites, they have navigated this stuff and it's very hard for our people to do that. So you can be happy for them in terms of their political success or their business success. But when they speak for anything related to Black America core, we have to be aware of their massive conflicts, meaning that they have people White folks, they have to protect. You think they're going to choose you over their wallet? You think they're going to choose you over the next mansion, the next big deal? You think they're going to choose you over all their elite friends? No. We're going to have to come out of this intoxication with seeing black. Okay, Some of this stuff is connected to people and agendas that are structured 
against our rise. They're not supportive of our rise. And we have to think about what type of slime do these people get on them over time if white folks are comfortable with them and they get to these elite levels do they start picking up slime and values and thoughts and they get further and further away of black america core where over time they're not they're we have different interests they're conflicted they can't speak out and bang for us so we got to let these people go go make your money be a good business person, be a good this or that, go do your thing. But we have to cut the umbilical cord off between Negro elites, these elite folks over here who can't speak for Black America Corps, meaning that they have conflicts around them. They have people that they're working with and they're working for. They're not, they can't make these white folks uncomfortable. They're not going to mess up their money. So, they, so when they say something political, you got to discount that because they're not speaking for you. They're not speaking with you in mind. They're thinking of, they're putting the stuff together and thinking about their money, about their f elite friends, their connections, the next business deal. That's going ahead of you. So push those people over there. And that's where I say Black America Corps and the elites. It's, hey, these people over there, they're conflicted. You know, we were sold a message over time that, hey, once we get the money and once the black people become billionaires, then we'll be free to really tell the truth and speak out. No, it has moved the opposite. Black America Corps is more paralyzed and more fearful now than when there was no black billionaires in the United States. So the more billionaires you get, the more systemic fear you have. So money is not going to solve your issues. It's not even going to be helpful because once the black people get the money, they go quiet for you. They're not going to say anything. They're not going to, they're not going to, take any risk for you. So the more money you push to the Negro elites, the more backwards you go, the more scary the people are because you're looking at them for leadership. Their conflicts are now transferred into your mind. But what are you doing conflicted? Meaning that you don't got to worry about the next business deal. You don't got to worry about your deal with Netflix. You don't got to worry about your deal with Apple. You don't got to worry about when you're going to get the next Wall Street or Silicon Valley donation on the foundation. You don't have to worry about these conflicts. So the political minds can't be synced up. They're conflicted over here worrying about money and their networks. You don't have these conflicts. We need to tell the truth. The people who don't have a voice, don't have money, they need truth. And even white folks. If you love white folks so much, you say, hey, the people we love and the, uh, and the friends we have, uh, you need to tell the people the truth. Uh, that shows that you care. Okay? So if you, some of you people love white folks so much, why don't, why don't you tell them the truth? You say that you're so patriotic and you love everybody and this and that. Why are you so scared to tell them the truth? Now, if you say that you love everybody and you love America, I got only one answer for you. You got to 
tell them the truth. And if Obama and these Negro elites, if they're not going to tell the truth, they can't represent us. There has to be a divorce. And that's what's coming next in America, that there's going to be a separation and there's an ongoing separation between the agenda of Negro elites who want to get on CNN, they want to get on MSNBC, they want to get the next deal. Go make your money. But we can't look at you for political leadership. The consequences are too high. The stakes are too high for us to be putting the political investment and equity into people who are too conflicted to represent us. So we have to separate, in a sense, from these Negro elites. And so in terms of what's next and, and what I see right now is that you see the political candidates, uh, Mayor Pete Bloomberg, now Deval Patrick, Elizabeth Warren. Now it's becoming normalized for the Democrat to come out with a black agenda. Now, you know, we can debate or discuss that, hey, you know, these agendas are dead on arrival. Okay, that they're not meaty enough. They don't go all the way um, to say that, hey, you know, for America to truly heal and for America to really work or try to work, that America needs to go back and reset with the black man and woman here in the United States. Uh, America has to reset with Black America core. But it's becoming normalized now for candidates to come out with a black agenda. That's new. Nancy Pelosi, Schumer, Barack Obama, you, they already got the vote. They don't need to do that. They got, they got the people intoxicated on identity, on we're black. We don't have to, to do the black agenda. The people are going to be out here like, you know, there's a new Popeye's chicken sandwich without offering agenda or anything specific to black folks. But now you see it's becoming normalized within the Democratic Party among multiple presidential candidates that I need a black agenda, okay? And in some of these agendas, they discuss reparations. This discussion is through a lot of hard work before in terms of our elders working on behalf of reparations and groups uh, such as Eidos and others, that there's people who have said, we're not taking this Chitlin political deal anymore with the, with the Democratic Party. You have people out there putting in work, and now you're seeing the mind of the Democratic Party changing. And it's not going to be overnight, but people are waking up. They're saying, look, let Obama go make his money. Let Oprah, Jay-Z, all these people go do all this stuff. That's cool. But when it comes to our politics, you're going to have to value us or we're not coming out. The leverage is swinging back to Black America Corps. The elites got this agenda over here, Black America Corps, we're gonna have our own agenda. Now, there may be squabbles and debates going on between different groups, but at the same time, there's still an awakening, a cumulative awakening going on between the different factions and groups who understand that we need a reset with the Democratic Party and for a lot of folks, we're not scared of MAGA. For you to do the right thing is a long-term game. 
Okay, it's not about four years or any election for some folks. You have neglected Black America Corps for so long. You have used so much technology. You have radicalized a lot of voters who are radicalized enough to stay home if you want to run Joe Biden. They're not looking at this as like a quick four-year game. The only way the Democratic Party may be able to be bent into shape is another four years. Maybe you'll come correct next time. You tried. Some candidates rolled out, you know, agendas here and there. Joe Biden didn't want to roll out an agenda. He thinks he can get the vote like Obama without an agenda. We're going to see. But if the Democratic Party runs Joe Biden, uh, I mentioned this before, the Democratic Party is going to lose if they run Biden expecting a strong black turnout. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamal Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.